If, uh, if Calvinists like me are right, and God chooses who will be saved in eternity past, before they were born, not based on anything that he knew that they would be or do, uh, in other words, if unconditional election is true, then would that make God's choice of whom he will save arbitrary? That's the question that we'll ask today. This is Chris Date, and welcome to The Apologetics, where every other week I discuss a wide variety of theological issues and show how a properly biblical worldview can help defend the historic Christian faith from its critics. Join me as we think through what we believe and why we believe it, and not something else. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Apologetics. Uh, my name is Chris Date, and I thank you for joining me live if you're watching live or for watching the archived video after it was archived. Um, I'm speaking in the past tense, even though this will happen in the future after this live stream is over. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a doctrine that Calvinists like me believe called unconditional election. We're not going to be giving a full-throated articulation and defense, uh, biblically, of unconditional election. I, I will do that in future episodes. In fact, very possibly in the very next episode of The Apologetics, uh, two weeks from today, when I have a friend of mine join me um, <clears throat> uh, to discuss that very issue. Um, instead, what I'm going to be doing today is something I've wanted to do for some time um, and just decided I was getting sick of it and, and really wanted to get it done now uh, and not just keep waiting for an opportunity to do it. Um, and that is, I'm going to be defending the doctrine of, of unconditional election from a particular charge, namely the charge made by a friend of mine very frequently, and we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, the charge that in this Calvinist view, God's unconditional choice of who will be saved, not based on anything whatsoever that the people he, say, he chooses would do or would be, the charge that that would make God's choice arbitrary. That's what we're going to be discussing today. Um, I'm going to try to keep an eye on the live chat, uh, but it will be a little bit difficult for me to do so. Uh, so if I miss a question or a thought or anything, then I apologize in advance. Um, maybe you guys can just enjoy the fun discussion and, and critique me along the way without my uh, intervention. Um, but let me introduce the person who leveled the charge, a friend of mine. Um, it's not one of the people you see pictured on the page here, but he is a fellow professor, fellow, you know, a, another professor besides myself at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. That's the seminary that Braxton Hunter and Jonathan Pritchett head. Uh, Braxton Hunter, who is pictured there on the screen, he recently had a great debate on the unbelievable radio program with Justin Brierley with uh, well-known atheist Dan Barker on the question of free will, which is kind of an interesting question coincidence, uh, given that today I'm going to be discussing something somewhat related to that. But anyway, I want you to, I'd encourage you to check it out. Braxton is a fantastic apologist, uh, and I'm really proud to be a part of an institution that he is the head of. But anyway, so the person I'm going to be responding to, do, to today is a fellow professor at Trinity. His show is also among the shows, like including mine, that are part of the Trinity Commission. Uh, the Trinity Commission, which you can see up here on the screen, and you can find it at just facebook.com slash the Trinity Commission. Uh, actually, you know what? Before I keep going, can somebody that's watching, if anybody's watching, just confirm that you can hear and see? Um, because I usually, by this point, have a few comments in the chat, and I don't have any, and I'm, I'm a little nervous that maybe something's gone wrong. 
But anyway, the Trinity Commission is a network of uh, YouTube shows and podcasts that are in some way, shape, or form um, connected to Trinity College of the Bible. Thank you, Argoski and Shannon. Um, hey, Shannon, good to, good to see you. Shannon is a uh, uh, um, uh, enthusiastic viewer of the person that we're going to be ta talking about today, and I'm um, honored that she would come and watch my show as well. And thank you also, Stephen and Flaming Sword, for letting me know that you're here as well. So the Trinity Commission is a uh, network of shows and podcasts that are in some way connected to Trinity. Um, up at the top of the list, for some strange reason, is The Apologetics. Uh, but then there's also Trinity Radio, which is typically hosted by Braxton Hunter and Jonathan Pritchett. The Bible Bro Down, uh, uh, that's from a couple of friends of Trinity. The Narrow Path, which is um, hosted by a fellow professor at Trinity named Steve Gregg. And by the way, next week, a week and a half from today, he and I will be debating on Trinity Radio um, the, the identity of Israel. Um, so I hope you'll tune into that. But then right there, fourth from the fourth from the top, second second to last, uh, is Soteriology 101. Um, Soteriology 101 is the show uh, that is headed by Leighton Flowers. This is the person that we're going to be responding to today. I count him a friend, and I am uh, honored to work at the same institution he does. Um, but he and I disagree on the issue of Calvinism, Calvinism versus non-Calvinism. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, the the difference between our views in the episode today. But again, just as a reminder, I won't be giving a full-fledged defense, a biblical defense of unconditional election today. Um, but let me, for people that aren't yet familiar with, if, if you're watching this and you're not super aware of the terminology, what it means and stuff like that, I'll, I'll do a little bit of uh, introduction for you. This word soteriology in the title of my friend Layton's show um, refers to the doctrine of salvation. This is uh, what I've got up on the screen is the definition in Alan Cairns's Dictionary of Theological Terms. It's the doctrine of salvation, the branch of systematic theology that deals with the work of Christ the Redeemer and its application to the elect by the Holy Spirit. And that word elect introduces another concept, which is um, God's election of men to salvation. Uh, Alan Cairns and I would say it refers to his gods, that is, eternal and sovereign choice of them to be his adopted children. All right. So when we talk about ele the elect or, the, or election, what we're talking about is um, God's choice of who will be saved. It's really that simple. Um, where we disagree is the basis of that choice and the identity of the people so chosen. So, um, uh, so we'll get into that in maybe a little bit more in today's episode and also in future episodes. But that's the that's the background to the discussion that we're going to be having today. And this word elect comes from a Greek word that is used a number of times in the New Testament to describe people chosen by God to be saved. So, for example, 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says, We know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, and that word chosen is eklage, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Also, Colossians 3.12, uh, Paul writes, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, here the word is eklektos, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then, for good measure, I'll throw in one other word that comes from that same root. This is in Ephesians 1. 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us in him, chose his eklegamai, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. So this word election comes from these Greek words that come from the, this shared root, like eklegamai. 
And both sides of this debate, all sides of the soteriological debate, affirm, because we have to, the Bible uses the language of choosing, that God um, has indeed chosen people to be saved. The question is, on what basis? And you're going to get different answers uh, from Arminians and from provisionists, which is the word that uh, Leighton Flowers uses to describe his position, our, uh, provisionism, he calls it, and open theists and others. Um, we all agree God chooses, but we disagree about why he chooses or, or on what basis he chooses whom he chooses. Um, now, when we think about choice, uh, when we think about choosing from a number of uh, different options, we're typically used to somebody choosing the thing that is the best um, by whatever measure they deem the best. So, for example, this is a scene from one of my favorite movies, Indiana Jones 3, uh, The Last Crusade. It's the one with... Um, Oh boy, why can't I remember uh, the guy's name? The, the guy who used to be James Bond. He's, he's, he talks like dish. <laughs> terrible, terrible accent. Anyway, um, Indiana Jones 3. This is a scene toward the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, you should have seen Indiana Jones 3 by now. So um, sorry to give this away, but it's your own fault for not watching it sooner. It, toward the end of the movie, the, the villain, the main villain in the movie um, I, that I'm showing a picture of on screen, he is uh, he finally gets to his goal of this um, tomb inside of uh, a cave in uh, I don't remember if it was Egypt or the Middle East somewhere, but anyway, he's he's got to choose which one of Sean Connery, thank you Flaming Sword, I don't know why I couldn't remember that, he's got to choose which of these cups is the grail of Christ um, because if he selects the right cup and he chooses from it, then, uh, and, or drinks from it, then he will get eternal life. So here's, I'm just going to show you a few screenshots. I, I would show you the whole scene in video, but my video, my this stream will get shut down if I do. So you can see the villain is looking at a variety of cups and he's asking which one is it. Um, there's all these beautiful cups that are gold and silver and decorated with various jewels. Um, and then, and I'm, there's more that's happening here, but you can see here, here now he's holding this immaculate, beautiful, ornate goblet. And he says, this certainly is the cup of the King of Kings. And he's saying that because it's so ornate. Right? So beautiful, so bejeweled. Um, and then he drinks it, and all of a sudden he says, what is happening to me? And, and sure enough, he ends up dying. And, and uh, famously, the, the guardian of the grail says he chose poorly. So it's, it's a wonderful line from an excellent movie. But this is not how anybody in Christianity thinks that God's choice to save people works. I, I, I guess I, I, I might... Arguably, um, there are some works-based, um, you know, works-based schemes that go under the the label of Christianity that that might, to one degree or another, fit this. But at least among Protestants, um, this is not the kind of choice that we're talking about with God. So, for example, Wayne Grudem, who is a Calvinist like I am, he explains that election, in our view, in Calvinists' view, is an act of God before creation, in which He chooses some people to be saved but not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. So he doesn't see any merit, any valuable thing in the people he chooses beforehand that prompts him to choose them. He chooses them for not based on anything like that. But here's the thing, that is not a sufficient description of unconditional election because um, I think that Leighton Flowers and others could say the very same thing because Wayne Grudem has here used the word merit. 
You see, when you put it in terms of just merit, then even the, a view of Leighton Flowers would um, uh, would fit this bill. You see, he doesn't think that um, God chooses people like the villain does at the end of Indiana Jones 3, picks the most ornate cup, the most valuable or worthy cup. No, he would say that it's something more like what Indiana Jones does. You see, after the villain chooses the most ornate cup and says, truly, this is the, king, the cup of the king of kings and drinks it and dies, well, then Indiana Jones looks at all the very various cups and he and, and and this other person that is there with him says it wouldn't be made out of gold and it, because it's it's Christ's cup it's a carpenter's cup and sure enough Indiana Jones says that's the cup of a carpenter and he's looking at the cup that he goes out to reach and it's it's uh, fairly um, nondescript and ordinary and it wouldn't catch anybody's eye right it's humble and then sure enough the night uh, the same guardian who had said he chose poorly says to Indiana Jones you have chosen wisely you see there was nothing there was no merit in the cup in, in terms of value worth it wasn't anywhere near as ornate or bejeweled or beautiful or anything as any of the other cups and if you think of ornateness uh, jewels and and precious metals as value merit the cup that indiana jones chose which turned out to be the right cup had none of that and I think people like Leighton Flowers would say, yeah, that's exactly right. God doesn't choose somebody, uh, choose people to be saved by, because of any merit they have, any value, any worth. They aren't in any way, shape, or form earning or deserving or meriting God's choice, but they are humbling themselves. They humble themselves and freely uh, plead to God for rescue through his son, Jesus Christ. And that would be sort of like this very humble looking cup. All right, that, that Indiana Jones chose. So Wayne Grudem's use of the word merit means that his description of unconditional election isn't sufficient. The Westminster Confession puts it more precisely and accurately. Here I'm reading from the Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 3, paragraph 5, or section 3, paragraph 5. I don't know what the right terminology for that is. But it says, Those of mankind that are predestinated unto life, God hath chosen in Christ, out of his mere free grace and love, without any foresight of faith or good works, or of any other thing in the creature, as conditions or causes moving him thereunto. You see, we Calvinists can't even say that Indiana Jones's choice is like God's choice to save. Because it's not just merit, value, worth, that we Calvinists say um, God doesn't base his choice upon. We say God doesn't base his choice upon anything in the people so chosen at all. Whether faith, whether humility, whether wisdom, whether kindness or love or charity or anything. Nothing. Not even the humble acceptance of faith or the humble acceptance of Christ through a free act of faith. Not even that is the basis upon which God chooses who will be saved, in, in my view, in Calvinism. So this is unconditional election. And because of this, because we believe that God's choice of who will be saved is not based on anything at all whatsoever in the people, about the people, anything that the people do that he chooses, we are often accused of, of, of believing in a, uh, a system in which God chooses arbitrarily from, um, from among all humankind who's going to be saved and who won't. 
So here I've got up on the screen a tweet from uh, almost a year ago uh, from Soteriology 101. Again, that's Leighton Flowers. And, he, and he's responding to a big hero of mine, a hero in some ways and then in others I'm, I'm critical of, but I'm a huge hero of, of James White, the president, I think it is, of, of Alpha and Omega Ministries. Um, he's somebody that I have learned immensely from and probably in even ways I wish I didn't, I emulate a lot uh, in, in the way that I think and in the way that I act. And on, on one topic in particular, which I won't mention here, but if you watch my other weekly sh other bi-weekly show, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. I very much long to debate James White. So because I have I hold him in such high esteem and I think it would be an incredible debate for people that are watching. But anyway, so what he's doing is he's, uh, Leighton Flowers it is, he's tweeting to James White and he says, James White, those regenerated are choice on both our views. He's using choice here as an adjective like choice meets. Those regenerated are choice on both our views. The reason we are regenerated is the dispute between us. You, James White, believe it's arbitrary. And I believe it's by faith. Now, of course, as you probably can anticipate, James White was, would have nothing of that. And, and he was right not to have anything of that. James White responds in the tweet, as I have corrected you a thousand times, Leighton, the Supreme Judge does nothing arbitrary. He acts according to the kind intention of his will. And then the Twitter conversation goes on a little bit more. So James White rightly says, no, um, we don't believe that God does anything arbitrary, even in unconditional election. And in fact, not long after that, a couple of months after that, actually, I posted a poll in a Calvinist group. And I said, Calvinist, do you affirm that God's choice to save any given person is arbitrary based on your understanding of the word arbitrary? So I didn't put in there what arbitrary means, what I think it means, what Leighton Flowers think it means, anything like that. I just put the question the way I just read it. And of the 49 votes I got, 100% of them said, no, God's salvific choice is not arbitrary. So the fact is, Calvinists don't believe that God's choice is arbitrary. And, and we'll get to why, okay? But I'm, I'm building up to that. It's going to be a bit. So hang in there with me. Um, notwithstanding this, though, notwithstanding the fact that no Calvinist that I know or that I've ever heard speak or that I've read with one exception that we'll get to momentarily has, despite the fact that we've never said, we don't, don't believe, t totally deny that God's choice of who will be saved is arbitrary, uh, notwithstanding that Leighton Flowers very frequently and insistently um, uses the word arbitrary. And if it wasn't so frequent and insistent, and if he didn't go out of his way to defend his use of it, um, I, I, and if he didn't use it very often, I probably would never have done this episode now. Um, but the reality is he does use it very frequently, even after uh, and before he claims to be trying not to. Um, so here, for example, is a clip from, and you're going to see a lot of these clips. I did a lot of research, and let me just say in advance, I'm not going to name the names. I don't want to out them, and I don't even know if they want to be outed or not, but I'm not going to out them. But I had a lot of, uh, well, several people, four, five, six people helped me by watching various um, episodes of Soteriology 101 so that I could gather all these clips. I want to thank you guys for, for helping me in that regard and you can certainly comment in the chat if you want and say you were one who helped me if you want to but don't feel like you've got to so you're going to be hearing a lot from Leighton Flowers because I want you to hear a lot of it from the from straight from the horse's mouth and I'm not using that in a demeaning way this clip that you're about to watch is from an episode on August 24th about 26 and a half minutes in called Tim Keller on election and, and listen to what um uh, listen to what Leighton says or unconditionally I like to say the word arbitrary I'm trying to avoid that word because some friends on my Calvinistic side think it gives too negative a connotation. 
Now, he's probably referring to me. I, I, I might be a little too vain in thinking so, but I think he's probably referring to me. And I appreciate that he considers me a friend and, and claims, at least, to be trying to avoid using the word arbitrary, given how much we object to him doing so. I want to suggest, however, that that really wasn't genuine. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to call Leighton a liar. I'm not trying to, um, you know, de bemoan his, 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 uh, his motives or anything like that. But this claim that he's trying not to use the word arbitrary, I think, is just simply and patently untrue. Um, so here, for example, is the very next day, August 25th, at about an hour and 14 uh, minutes in. And it's, it's in the episode called N.T. Wright on Romans 9. It's not God arbitrarily picking people before they're born. Here's uh, about 30 minutes later. Right. For who? For people arbitrarily picked before they're born? Here's a couple minutes later. You weren't marked in him arbitrarily before you were born. Here's uh, another 15 minutes later. I agree. God's always made distinctions. We just don't believe he makes them arbitrarily before a person's born. This is uh, this is two days later on August 27th in the episode called Calvinism Defeated by Seth Dillon of the Babylon Bee. Um, or, or, you know, arbitrary, as one of my friends, Chris Bate, is pushing back on me using the word arbitrary. Um, here's the next day in the episode called Calvinist Proof Texting 101 at about an hour and ten minutes in. Um, and it doesn't seem that they're loved by God arbitrarily. Here's the same episode, another 20 minutes in or so. Okay, notice that part. Who does he save? People arbitrarily picked before they're ever born? Same episode, a little bit later, one hour, 43 minutes. For people arbitrarily picked before they're ever born? <laughs> Here's uh, three days later, August 31st, Ephesians 1.11 decalvinized at about six minutes in. You're not chosen arbitrarily before you're born. Here's a little bit later, 22 minutes and 50 seconds in, same video. Nothing outside of his own will is another, uh, that's another definition of arbitrary. It same episode, one hour, ten minutes in. Then he's, by by new nature, that he's been given uh, unilaterally and, I would say, arbitrarily, but... Same episode, a little bit later, one hour, thirty minutes in. So that you cannot treasure his glory unless he picked you arbitrarily before you were born. So, no, it's not true. Leighton is not, or at least at the time that he said that, was not trying to avoid using the word arbitrary. Um... Now, if that were the only problem, I still might not do the video, all right? But, but he claims, as we'll see here in a second, to clarify what he means by the word arbitrary so that he's not mistaken, as me, uh, he's not mistaken to mean something by the word that he doesn't actually mean. Here's the way he puts it. I understand why some people don't like oh, it. Oh, I should say, this is in um, uh, an episode on August 11th called A Biblical Defense of Provision Provisionism at about 2 hours 55 minutes in. By the way, for those of you watching, the reason I'm saying the timestamp and the name of the video and stuff is because some people listen to this via the podcast and I want to give them the the sources. I understand why some people don't like it because of the negative connotations that come with it, but I, I always try to be careful uh, with with explaining what I mean by arbitrary when I use it. Um, so I'm, I'm giving a clear definition before I use it. Now, if that were true, if it were true that every time or, or maybe every or nearly every time that Leighton uses the word in the first time in a conversation, he does so only after first explaining what he means by arbitrary, well, that would that would be something. But he doesn't. This is from the very next day in Jeff Durbin's Faulty View of Election. This is the first occurrence of the word arbitrary at two minutes in. Unfortunately, what a lot of people do when it comes to the doctrine of election, unfortunately, is that they narrow it down to one sociological choice of God, and that is the choice of individuals before they're born for effectual salvation. 
um, and that's what election usually means in the mind of, of individuals who haven't studied uh, this doctrine very much in depth and therefore when you see the word elect or the word election you automatically think Calvinistically you think oh well that's a that's about a, a people individually being chosen arbitrarily before they're ever born and that's not what the word means uh, I didn't hear Leighton explain what he means by arbitrary he's leaving it up to the hearer to take the word arbitrary in whatever way the hearer is going to take it. This is the next day, August 13th, in the episode called Free Will and Responsibility with Eric Hernandez. By the way, I'll be debating Eric Hernandez. He's an awesome guy. I'm so honored to be able to debate him on, uh, we're gonna be debating two topics. I think we're doing it in November. First on free will, whether libertarian free will or compatibilistic free will, and then another couple of weeks later on uh, dualism versus physicalism. So stay tuned for that. But anyway, this is in the episode from August 13th called Free Will and Responsibility with Eric Hernandez. This is the first occurrence of the word arbitrary at about 15 and a half minutes in. Um, and so it seems to me what the order is, is that you confess you have a bad heart. The, 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 the physician, the doctor comes to you and tells you you have a bad heart and you either, you know, listen to what the doctor said and, and listen to his diagnosis and confess and humble yourself and confess it's true. Yes, I have a bad heart. So as to get a new heart, whereas the Calvinist says, no, 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 God comes in supernaturally, arbitrarily picks some people. He gives them a new heart. And those people he arbitrarily picks before the, they're ever born and gives a new heart to, those are the ones who come out and confess they had a bad heart, which they don't really have a bad heart anymore because it's already been made new. So there was two occurrences in the span of about a minute at the toward the beginning of the show, no explanation of what he means by arbitrary. He's assuming people are going to understand the word arbitrary to mean whatever it is that they think it means. Here's the next day, August 14th, in the episode called How to Know Truth. This is the first occurrence of the word at about 52 and a half minutes in. Yeah, well, well said. And so we, we, we could come to the conclusion that God just arbitrarily picks people and those are the ones he will instruct in the way that they should choose. No explanation of what the word means. How about two days later, August 16th, Calvin versus Luther on predestination. First occurrence of the word arbitrary at about 10 and a half minutes in. The, the doctrine of predestination from our perspective is that God has predestined, which is just two words, it's pre, before, destination, it's predestination, okay? The destination has been set beforehand. For who? For people picked arbitrarily before the foundation of the world? No. He has destined beforehand what will come of those who put their faith in Christ. No explanation what he means by arbitrary. How about three days later, August 19th, why Calvinistic predestination isn't biblical? This is a first occurrence of the word arbitrary at about nine minutes in. That happened by the sovereign decree. So everybody's born in chains and God arbitrarily picks some people. Arbitrary is a good word because it's Jonathan Edwards' word. If you don't like it, tough, it's in dictionary, that's what it is, okay? It, words mean things. Arbitrarily picks some people and frees those people. We'll be talking about both his claims there about Jonathan Edwards and about it being in the dictionary a little bit later in this episode. But notice that all he said is that it means something, the word arbitrary. He doesn't say what it means. He just assumes that the hearer is going to understand it. How about another couple of days later, August 21st, James White on John 6, the first occurrence of the word arbitrary at about 44 minutes in. When it talks about being made alive. Are we just being arbitrarily made alive or like Colossians 2.12, are we being a made, are we being raised up with him through faith? No explanation of the word arbitrary. Eight, August 25th, N.T. Wright on Romans 9, first occurrence of the word at about a minute and, sorry, an hour and 14 minutes and a half in. If you believe in his name, you will be saved. That's 
people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. But so it's not God arbitrarily picking people before they're born, thus causing them effectually to believe the gospel so as to save them. No explanation of the word arbitrary. Three days later, August 28th, Calvinistic proof texting 101. First occurrence of the word arbitrary at about a minute, an hour and 10 minutes and a half minutes in. We have plenty of examples like the Ninevites or Rahab or um, Job or others who were not Israelites, who were loved by God. Um, and it doesn't seem that they're loved by God arbitrarily. It seems that they're loved by God uh, in relationship by grace through faith. No explanation of what it means by arbitrary. And one last video on this section of, the, of, the, of my presentation. This is from today. Um, this is uh, nine, uh, September 7th. It's called Answering Misconceptions About Provisionism. And it's the first occurrence of the word at about 15 minutes in. And so we're not rejecting the idea that the Father gives people to the Son. We just don't think he's arbitrarily picking people and giving them to the Son. We believe he's, uh, he is giving those who have listened and learned from the Father, those who are God-fearing people, he's giving people who believe in him to the Son. So there it is again. So you see, uh, Professor Flowers, a friend of mine, I love him, but he claims, firstly, that he's trying to avoid using the word. That's not true. Secondly, he says, I explain what I mean so that nobody misunderstands me before I use the word. But that's not true. Well, let's start talking about why he uses the word then, all right? Um, he's claims, uh, well, I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll play this first clip so you can see what he claims. This is from July 3rd at about four minutes in, and this is one of two reasons that he gives, or sorry, this is, this is what he claims is what he means by the word arbitrary. Um, now, words have meanings, and the reason I use arbitrary is because it has a meaning. It has a definition, um, and you can't change definitions to suit your fancy. Uh, for example, when you look at the word arbitrary here, you can see that it says, subject to individual will or judgment without restriction, contingent solely upon one's discretion. So based upon that definition at dictionary.com, basic dictionary definition, does God's choice to save some individuals and to reprobate the others, is that an arbitrary choice on God's part, according to this definition? Well, is it subject to the individual will and judgment without restriction of God? Of course it is. Is it contingent solely upon God's discretion? Of course it is. Uh, you can even see on the second definition there, decided by a judge or arbiter rather than a law or statute. In other words, this is not something uh, that that's, that's like a law is higher than the judge. The judge is the arbiter. The judge, God is the arbiter. God is the setter of the law. In other words, the law is not governing God, like in our judicial system where a judge is bound by the laws of the land. God is the, the lawmaker. He is the, the not only the judicial system, he is also Congress. In other words, he's the one making the laws and he's the one enforcing the laws. And so there's, it's, it's, he's the arbiter in this situation. He has unlimited power, as the point three says, unlimited power, uncontrolled or unrestrained by law. Um, this is what describes the God on the Calvinistic system. So what, what Flowers uh, claims is that when he uses the word arbitrary to describe election in Calvinism, he's attempting to use it in what he claims is the dictionary definition of the word. We'll come to that in a little bit. Um, and what that definition is, is basically by the will of the arbiter alone, not uh, bound by any sort of um, uh, law, not, not bound by any external authority, just based on God's rule, his, his will alone. That's what he claims it means. 
Well, that was July 3rd. On July 7th, in John 10 becoming a Christ follower, and then sheep is in parentheses, at about 33 and a half minutes in, he says this. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it make so much more sense than the idea or concept that God just rejects people before they're ever born for no apparent reason? Just arbitrarily pick some people and not others? Of course it does. So he's using arbitrary to mean by, uh, according to no apparent reason. Apparent reason. We'll come to that in a minute. So, uh, and then he says it again, July 9th, Romans 9 debate review with John Cranman at, at about an hour and a half in. And God, what, he, what does he do? He cuts them off, not arbitrarily, not for no apparent reason. See again, no apparent reason. It's not, it's not by God's sole authority or by God's will alone. It's because there's no apparent reason. He does the same thing a little bit later. July 29th, Jeff Durbin's faulty view of free will at two hours, nine minutes and 50 seconds in. Born arbitrarily and therefore just makes them alive at some point in time for no apparent reason, just chooses Leighton and Jeff, but not Joe and uh, Chris over here. I'm not going to choose Joe, uh, Joe and Chris. I'm going to choose Leighton and Jeff, and I'm going to make them alive just for reasons you just don't know. I'm just going to make them alive. For reasons you don't know, for no apparent reason. He says it again, July 30th, in God-hardening God hearts isn't uniquely Calvinistic. This is at 28 and a half minutes in. So they're not just picking people randomly. God's just not picking people arbitrarily for no apparent reason. No apparent reason. Here's um, August 21st, James White on John 6, at 56 minutes and 50 seconds in. Is he giving Cornelius to the Son arbitrarily, meaning without any known reason? Here's July, uh, August 21st, oh, same, same video at an hour and 25 minutes in. That you can't assume that the Father is just arbitrarily or without any apparent reason picking some people and not others. Um, but here's the thing, even if, like somebody could argue, um, even somebody in the chat, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to say, um, <laughs> I'm glad you said this, Ezekiel Sargent, because you're about to prove my point. Um, somebody could make the claim in the chat that, that Leighton actually sees those two things as fairly synonymous. By God's will alone, not based on any sort of reason in the person, not based on any sort of authority or external authority, anything like that, is basically the same thing as saying no, no, no reason known to us, not no apparent reason. And, and Ezekiel Sargent, uh, God bless him, is coming to Flowers' defense and saying, um, you've listened to Leighton enough to know that it's no apparent reason to us, not no apparent reason at all, including God. Okay, well, does that, is, is that true? Here's what he says, what Leighton says, um, July 9th, in Romans 9 debate review with John Cranman at an hour and eight minutes in. So notice they're not broken off arbitrarily before they're ever born. They're broken off for a reason. Did you hear that? Not arbitrarily but for a reason. You see, he thinks arbitrary means for no reason at all. Here again, July 26, Romans 9, a conversation with a nuanced Calvinist. By the way, the nuanced Calvinist there, Robert Wiesner, he's a friend of mine, and he'll be on the show probably next episode of this show to discuss Romans 9. Um, but this is at about two hours, eight minutes, and 40 seconds in. Why not go there, and then, then you can maintain the blameworthiness of the sinner because they're, they're becoming hardened for a good reason, not just arbitrarily. All right, so for no good reason is what he means by arbitrary, right? Here's um, August 2nd, Calvinism and Provisionism contrasted at about 55 minutes in. So he's not arbitrarily giving them over or sending them a spirit of delusion, meaning there's no reason for it. No reason for it. That's what he means by arbitrary. Here it is again, um, August 8th, James White conflates enslavement with determinism at 55 minutes and 15 seconds in. Now, is he just hardening them arbitrarily just before the foundation of the world? You know what? I'm going to create this one for destruction. I'm just going to harden his heart. Just no reason. Just going to pick him out and just harden him. 
No reason. Just going to pick them out and harden them. That's what Dr. Flowers thinks arbitrary means and what he uses it to mean. Not by God's will alone, not by no apparent reason, but by no reason at all. And I'm not done yet. Here's August 11th, a biblical defense of provisionism, 45 and a half minutes in. That is, by definition, an arbitrary choice. Um, and it's, it's based upon his, his whim. His whim. W-H-I-M. His whim. That's not a reason. A whim is like, eh, I feel like this. Eh, I feel like that. That's what my brother and friend Flower, Leighton Flowers means by arbitrary. Here it is again, later in the same video, an hour and 22 minutes and 30 seconds in. It's reason. It doesn't say arbitrarily or for no reason at all. See? I'm sorry, Ezekiel, but you're wrong. Leighton just said in the video clip, I just played, that arbitrary means no reason at all. It's not, I'm not done yet. Here's two hours and 25 minutes into the same video. Does God just arbitrarily pick people and just, whoosh, they're born again, just picks people and they're just, and wind blows where it wants me, that means he just arbitrarily picks some people and not others. Do you hear the, what he's, how he's describing arbitrary? Just, just, Wherever the wind blows, right? This is what Leighton means by arbitrary. He means no reason at all. Here's an August 12th uh, episode called Jeff Durbin's Faulty View of Election, 17 minutes in. He has a really good reason for why he hardens somebody. He doesn't arbitrarily harden people. See? In, in Flowers' mind, it's either there's a good reason for it or it's arbitrary. That's what he means by arbitrary. There's no good reason, or at the very least, there's either no reason at all or there's no good reason. So, so no, I, I, I love my brother Leighton, and I count him a friend, and I hope that he doesn't take this too harshly. But he's, uh, Flower, Leighton, you're being disingenuous. It's clear that when you're using the word arbitrary, you're using it to mean for no reason. That's what you're doing. And when you're, put, when you're challenged on it, then you fall back to a different definition of the word and defend your use of it but then you return to using it to mean no reason at all. But let's let's put that aside for a second. Let's put Leighton behind us for a moment and, and talk about um, Leighton's reasons for uh, or, or, or his justification for saying that election is arbitrary in Calvinism. His he offers two reasons, two 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 grounds of justification, however you want to put it, two two bases upon which to call election arbitrary in Calvinism. Here's one. All right, this is uh, July third. I, I said we're going to leave Leighton behind. I only mean I'm not going to be playing clip after clip after clip. I'm going to set it up and then I'm going to address the claim. All right, so here's the July third episode of Soteriology 101 called "Is God Arbitrary?" At about four minutes fifteen seconds in. Uh, in fact, if uh, you go back in history a little ways and you look at Jonathan Edwards, who is a very well-respected Calvinistic scholar. Matter of fact, John Piper quotes a lot from Jonathan Edwards and cites Jonathan Edwards as really uh, one of the main scholars for his particular view of soteriology. And so Jonathan Edwards would be considered, I think, one of the leading scholars among Calvinistic types. And uh, here is his very famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And if we just scroll down through this, we'll see that he also uses this term arbitrary. And he does so not in a negative connotation, but just as the definition of the word itself. And so look what he says. He says, the ob observation from the words that I would now insist upon is this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell 
but the mere pleasure of God. Now hear that? So it's merely the pleasure of God, the choice of God, the arbitrary decision of God, okay? The mere pleasure of his will. By the mere pleasure of God, he explains, I mean his sovereign pleasure, his arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by no manner of difficulty, any more than if nothing else but God mere will had in the least degree or in any respect whatsoever any hand in the preservation of the wicked men one moment. The truth of this observation may appear by the following considerations and he goes on to give uh, ultimately a defense of this claim that God's will is arbitrary. God does what he does by the mere pleasure of his will. That's what arbitrary is by definition. Jonathan Edwards is smart enough to understand that. He is intelligent enough to get that and intellectually honest enough to say that's what we believe is God's will is arbitrary on the Calvinist system. So notice firstly that um, he's implying I'm Leighton, you just did. You're implying that those of us Calvinists who push back on the word arbitrary aren't smart enough, aren't intelligent enough, and or aren't intellectually honest enough. I would encourage you to apologize for that. Um, but secondly, and more importantly, you can see that one of Leighton's uh, two claims uh, one of the two justifications Leighton offers for using the word arbitrary to describe election in Calvinism is that Jonathan Edwards used the word. Um, now, this lets me do something with this video that I, I want to do in every video of The Apologetics. I don't want to only do um, response videos, qua response videos. I don't want simply to respond to people. I want to make these videos educational. Um, and so what Leighton is doing here is giving me opp an opportunity to teach you an important um, distinction in the study of linguistics. This is something that is really important when it comes to exegeting the biblical text. And that is the difference between diachrony and synchrony. It might be diachrony versus synchrony, but I think it's probably diachrony and synchrony. Um, the adjectival forms of the word would be diachronic and synchronic. Here's a quote from Dan Wallace in his Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics. Lexicographers have recognized the priority of synchrony over diachrony. Synchrony has to do with the language as used at a given time. Diachrony looks at a language, language throughout its history. Right. Um, now, in, in other contexts, uh, th this is really important. Like, for example, the word... Um, uh, Ecclesia. That's the Greek word for church or for congregation or whatever. And some pastors claim that because that comes from, uh, it's derived from a verb, kaleo, to, to, to call out, that um, ecclesia means call, well, kaleo and that preposition ek, call out or call from. All right. They say because the word uh, etymologically derives from these words call and out from, therefore, ecclesia is the called out ones. But that's not true. It wasn't used that way, even if the etymology of the word's development over time um, ended up with that kind of word. Or, or, or here's another example. I've, I've, uh, th there's a Greek word dunamis, which means ability or power. And it's where we get our word dynamite from. And I kid you not, some pastors have tried to take the word dynamite in English and use that to um, illuminate the meaning of what the word dunamis is in scripture. But this is the wrong way to do it. You don't look at what a word has meant over time to figure out what the word means at any time. 
That would be diachronic linguistics. You want to do synchronic linguistics. You want to look at what a particular word means at a particular time. All right. Now, with that distinction in mind, what I want to do is walk you through how the dictionary definition of the word arbitrary has changed over time. So you can see what the word meant when Jonathan Edwards used it, and then you can compare that to what the word means today. All right. We're going to do synchronic um, linguistics, not diachronic. So I'm going as far back as 1681. This is about 20 or so years before Jonathan Edwards is born. Um, this is uh, All of these books I got from either Amazon.com's Look Inside feature or Google Books' preview feature. Um, this is a book called Glossographia or a Dictionary from 1681. And arbitrary is defined as that which is voluntary or left to our own will or censure, belonging to our betterment. But that's beside the point. But you see the point. In 1681, the dictionary definition of the word was what Leighton Flowers claims and what our, uh, Jonathan Edwards meant by it. Uh, another 25 years later, this is the New World of Words, or Universal English Dictionary. And arbitrary is defined as that, uh, is, it's that which depends altogether upon one's will or choice, without control, absolute, free. So again, exactly the way that Jonathan Edwards, who was born in 1703, three years prior to this dictionary definition, is the way that he uses it. And the word continues to mean that all throughout his lifetime. This is the, uh, oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> um, the, okay, this is 1708, the Dictionarium Anglo-Britannicum, or a general English dictionary. Arbitrary, depending altogether upon one's will or choice, being absolute free. 1715, Cocker's English Dictionary, arbitrary, ruling by will and pleasure, and then also tyrannical government, but tyrannical didn't even necessarily mean what it means today, it just means under no authority. 1724, arbitrary, that which is voluntary, or that depends wholly on one's will or choice, being absolute free. So now we're about 21 years after Jonathan Edwards is born, and dictionaries are still saying that arbitrary means absolute by, by, by the arbiter's will alone. Um, that was from a, a universal etymological English dictionary. Here's 1730, the Dictionarium Britannicum, or a more complete universal etymological English dictionary. Arbitrarily means after own, one's own will. Arbitrar arbitrariness is acting merely according to his own will and pleasure. Arbitrary, that which depends altogether on one's will and choice, without control, absolute free. So now we're 27 years into Jonathan Edwards' life, and it still means this one thing. Uh, a, new, a new general English dictionary from um, 1735. Arbitrary, whatever depends upon one's own will and pleasure. Anything that may be done without giving an account uh, for to another. And arbitrariness is very similarly. A doing or acting, anything purely by or according to one's own will. Uncontrollableness without any superior. By the way, I like looking at old texts like this because in, in Greek, um, the, the sigma, which is like our letter S, it has two forms, one at the end of the word and one in the, anywhere prior to the end of a word. And as you can see in this text, the English letter S used to do the same thing. In that word uncontrollableness, the second to last S, the, the penultimate S, looks a lot like an F. And then there's the curly S. It's just interesting to me. Anyway, uh, 1739, a new English dictionary. Arbitrary, depending altogether upon one's will, that is, 
without control. 1740, a new general English dictionary. Arbitrary, whatever depends on one's own will and pleasure. Anything that may be done without giving an account for to another. 1749, lingua Britannica reformata, or a new English dictionary. Arbitrary, one, left to one's own choice. Two, despotic, imperious, or absolute. Again, we're still dealing with the same basic definition. Absolutely free, bound by no uh, other authority. 1753, a pocket dictionary or complete English expositor. Arbitrary, a despotic, absolute, imperious, or haughty, anything left to one's own choice. You're starting to see a little bit of development in it. You've got that word haughty there, imperious, but you're still dealing with this basic idea of by the arbiter's will alone. 1757, a new classical English dictionary, arbitrary, depending altogether upon one's will, that is, without control. And then in 1758, on March 22nd, Jonathan Edwards dies. Now, I have not found any English dictionary prior to 1758 that lists anything like for no reason or anything like that in, in the definition of arbitrary. If you can find one, great. Let me know. The, the, my email address is on the screen right now, theapologetics at hotmail.com. But I wasn't able to find any. So throughout the entire uh, entirety of Jonathan Edwards' lifetime, the dictionary definition of the word arbitrary was by the arbiter's will alone or something to that effect. So yeah, that's what it meant when Jonathan Edwards used the word. And here's the interesting thing, it continued to mean that in, in some dictionaries, so uh, this is um, seven, uh, six years, five years, why is my math not working? Uh, 1763, the complete English dictionary, five years after Jonathan Edwards died. Arbitrary, at one's own disposal, imperious, absolute. So we still see that in some dictionaries. But in that same year, and this is the first English dictionary I could find that does this, this is after Jonathan Edwards's death. The Royal English Dictionary in 1763, arbitrary, not restrained or determined by any law or reasons. Okay, well there's something interesting, but even more interesting is the very next word, capricious. And then it goes on to say positive, despotic, and dogmatic. Capricious, that's an interesting word. Well, what does this same dictionary define capricious to mean? A variable and inconstant behavior founded on mere whim. By the way, whim is that word that uh, Leighton used. Whim and fancy. A sudden and frequent change of opinion or sentiment inconsistent with reason. So after Jonathan Edwards' death, we see the dictionary definition start to grow. Not merely to mean um, by the arbiter's will alone, but also capricious by whim and fancy, just like Leighton means by the word. Even though he claims not to, but we already saw that that is what he means. And we, and we see this throughout the rest of the dictionary's histories. 1768, five years later, Dictionary of the English Language. Arbitrary, despotic, absolute. Two, depending on no rule, capricious. And that dictionary defines capricious as whimsical, fanciful. 1791, Barclay's English Dictionary, arbitrary, not restrained or determined by any law or reasons, capricious, positive, despotic, and dogmatic. Capricious in this dictionary means a variable and inconstant behavior founded on mere whim and fancy. 1792, a complete and universal English Dictionary, arbitrary, not restrained or determined by any law or reasons, capricious, etc., etc., and capricious again means a variable and inconstant behavior. 1805, the synonymous etymological and pronouncing English Dictionary, arbitrary, despotic, absolute, bound by no law, depending on no rule, capricious. And what does capricious mean? Whimsical, fantastical, maggoty, there's an interesting word, freakish, fanciful, fickle, fickle. 
You see? 1824, a complete and universal English dictionary. Arbitrary, not restrained or determined by any law or reasons. Capricious, etc. Capricious, applied to variable and inconstant behavior founded on mere whim and fancy, etc. 1901, the International Encyclopedic Dictionary. Arbitrary, according to one... And this is what it calls the ordinary use of the word. According to one's own will or caprice. And probably not defensible at the bar of reason or justice. Capricious. And how does it define caprice and words related to caprice? A whim, again there's Leighton's word, a whim adopted by a sudden change of opinion and probably to be cast off in a little while for some new one. And then finally, 1912, New Websterian 1912 Dictionary. Arbitrary, depending on the will of the arbiter, discretionary, capricious. And how does it define capricious? Characterized by caprice, unsteady, fickle. So we've just spanned a period of time from, I'm not going to go all the way back through the slides, from 16, 1680s all the way to 1912. And what did we see? We saw that be, before Jonathan Edwards bo was born and all the way until after he died, dictionaries defined this word with basic, one basic meaning, by the, by, the soul, by, the, by the will of the arbiter alone. But after Jonathan Edwards' death, the word starts being defined with this also with this meaning of capricious women fancy fickle stuff like that so you can't say you can't justify your use of the word arbitrary to describe election in my view in 2020 by appealing to the fact that Jonathan Edwards used the word in 1740s whenever he wrote sinners in the hands of an angry god because that would be a diachronic uh, approach to linguistics if we apply a synchronic approach, what do we see? We see that all throughout Jonathan Edwards' lifetime, the word means simply by the will of the arbiter alone. And it since then, since his death, has changed meanings. So what matters if you're trying to justify your use of the word arbitrary is not what it meant 300 years ago, or 270 years ago. What matters is what it means now. So let's turn then to Leighton Flowers' second justification, his second grounds for using the word arbitrary to describe election in Calvinism. And here he does turn to one dictionary's definition. Let's listen. This is from Is God Arbitrary, July 3rd, at about a minute and a half in. Um, now, words have meanings, and the reason I use arbitrary is because it has a meaning. It has a definition. Um, and you can't change definitions to suit your fancy. In other words, if uh, we see this in the political world a lot, somebody doesn't like the label liberal, they don't like to be called a liberal, so they change the name to progressive or something like that. Or they say, well, I'm not a liberal, even though liberal has been defined in the exact... By the way, I'm going to pause this for a second and just point out, we Calvinists didn't change the definition of the word arbitrary. It changed through the natural use of the word as we just saw. But let's let him continue and then we'll respond. Same way that the word progressive has, virtually, um, it just change the label, change the word, to make it more palatable, to make it more uh, acceptable. Um, and that's part of the problem with, I think, sometimes the theological worldviews, is that a particular worldview meets a definition, and when you try to use that definition to describe it, then you're accused of misrepresenting that view, when in reality, uh, it matches the definition perfectly. Uh, for example, when you look at the word arbitrary here, you can see that it says, subject to individual will or judgment without restriction, contingent solely upon one's discretion. So based upon that definition at dictionary.com, basic dictionary definition, 
does God's choice to save some individuals and to reprobate the others, is that an arbitrary choice on God's part, according to this definition? Well, is it subject to the individual will and judgment without restriction of God? Of course it is. Is it contingent solely upon God's discretion? Of course it is. Uh, why, why? The only reason a Calvinist would push back against that or say that that's not representative of them is if they somehow believe that the word arbitrary meant something different than that or they thought it carried a negative connotation with it. Um, now, what Leighton Flowers is appealing to here is the definition offered by Dictionary.com. Um, and he goes on in the video to read from the other definitions that I've got up on the screen. Decided by a judge or arbiter rather than by law or statute, having unlimited power, uncontrolled or restricted by law, etc. Right? Um, and it's not as if this is um, original to Dictionary.com. Dictionary.com is actually... Um, providing the exact definitions that you would find in Random House Webster's Dictionary. Um, it even says as much if you look at the About page of Dictionary.com. Um, so, so this is one dictionary's definition. All right. Um, now, there are two possibilities for why you only ever hear Leighton, at least I've in all the videos I've watched, I've only ever seen Leighton cite one dictionary, this one here, although through dictionary.com. I've never seen him cite any others. And there are at least two possible reasons. One is he hasn't even looked. And I'd like to think that that's it, although that's bad enough. Um, the other possibility is um, he is cherry picking the one dictionary that supports his case. Let's look at some others. This is from 2001's Encarta College Dictionary. Arbitrary means based on whim. There's that flowers, uh, that word that flowers used, whim. Based on whim, based solely on personal wishes, feelings, or perceptions rather than objective facts, reasons, or principles. That's the first definition. Second one, randomly chosen or determined at random. Number three, not according to rule based on the decision of a particular judge or court rather than in accordance with any rule or law. So there it starts in the third definition. Then it starts to get into the one that um, Leighton is referring to. Here's 2003, Webster's Second Children's Dictionary. Arbitrary, based on wishes, opinions, or feelings, and not on law or reason. Here's 2004, the Oxford Dictionary of Difficult Words. Arbitrary, based on random choice or personal whim. There's that word Leighton used again, rather than any reason or system. Here's 2004's Chambers Concise Dictionary. Arbitrary, capricious, whimsical. Two, discretionary, based on subjective factors or random choice and not on objective principles. And then three, finally they get to the definition that Leighton likes or claims to like, said of a government or of someone in a position of power, dictatorial, etc. 2005, Webster's Second New College Dictionary. Arbitrary, determined by impulse or whim. Number two, based on or subject to individual judgment or discretion, and then so on and so forth. 2010, Oxford Dictionary of English, third, edi third edition. Arbitrary, one, based on random choice or personal whim, rather than any reason or system. 2012, paperback Oxford English Dictionary. Arbitrary, number one, not seeming to be based on any reason, plan, or system. 2016, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Arbitrary, autocratic, despotic, two, determined by will or caprice selected at random. And how does it define caprice? A sudden whim, there's that word that Leighton used again, or fancy, an inclination to do things impulsively. Now those are all printed, um, this is all printed dictionaries. So let's look at online dictionaries. Here's Merriam-Webster's, um, just go to m-w.org, I think it is, or you could just Google Merriam-Webster, look up arbitrary. You know what the first two definitions are? 
One, existing or coming about seemingly at random or by chance, or as a capricious and unreasonable act of will. Number two, based on or determined by individual preference or convenience. All right. Um, here's Cambridge English Dictionary on, available online. The word arbitrary means based on chance rather than being planned or, plan or based on reason. Here's the Macmillan Dictionary online. Arbitrary, not based on any particular plan, not done for any particular reason. Here's Lexico. This is, this is driven by the Oxford English Dictionary. Arbitrary, based on random choice or personal whim rather than any reason or system. Here's Oxford Learner's Dictionary online. Not seeming to be based on a reason, system, or plan and sometimes seeming unfair. Here's the Logman English Dictionary. Decided or arranged without any reason or plan, often unfairly. Here's the Collins Dictionary online. If you describe an action, rule, or decision as arbitrary, you think that it is not based on any principle, plan, or system. It often seems unfair because of this. And then the American Heritage Dictionary Online, arbitrary, determined by chance, whim, or impulse. And not by whim, again, there's that word Leighton uses, and not by necessity, reason, or principle. So you see that um, for whatever reason, excuse the pun, Leighton chooses one dictionary and one dictionary alone to, to justify using the word arbitrary in 2020 to describe election in Calvinism. I don't know, I didn't even count how many dictionaries we just looked at, but in every single one of them, the definition that Leighton appeals to, and as we've already seen, it's not really the definition he means by the word, but the one that he appeals to is a second, third, or fourth, or not even included dictionary, or definition in those definition, uh, in those uh, dictionaries. But here's the thing, and here I wanna, I wanna take another teaching moment. This, what's, it's not just important what the dictionaries say. You see, this brings us to the, the distinction between prescriptive and descriptive um, lexicography or lexicology, all right? Um, this is from Merriam-Webster's uh, 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 website. And by the way, I'm, I've just gone back to the slide where we saw that Merriam-Webster lists as its first and second definitions based on whim, random, not by, you know, by chance, not based on any reason. Well, what they explain is that at Merriam-Webster, we embrace the descriptive approach. That is, we write definitions that describe, or if you will, reflect how words are actually used by writers and speakers of the English language. You see, when we're talking about what a word means, it really doesn't fundamentally matter what you go and find in the dictionary. What matters is how the word is actually used. Um, but listen to how Leighton in Is God Arbitrary at July, on July 3rd at about six minutes in, look at the way he does linguistics. God does what he does by the mere pleasure of his will. That's what arbitrary is by definition. What does that sound like? That's, oh, uh, let, me, let me play one more clip. This is from last year, January 15th, 2019. Do Calvinists believe God arbitrarily chooses people to save? And this is about three and a half minutes in. So I can understand the reason that Calvinists would want to get away from an adjective which can have negative connotations. We would all want to do that when trying to represent our perspective. But let's just be um, as, I think, as objective as we can and just look at the defini definition of the term. Uh, this is just from one particular dictionary, just dictionary.com. Just, I just pulled it up and just said, okay, what about this dictionary? Um, and we could pull up other ones that may favor the idea of arbitrary just meaning random or something of that nature. But... <laughs> I pulled up more than just one. Um, but anyway, putting that aside, what does does Leighton here sound like he's doing descriptive lexicography? No, he's using prescriptive 
He's doing prescriptive lexicology. Um, the, that Merriam-Webster's uh, website goes on to say a purely prescriptive dictionary would disregard usage of the living language and instead rely on ideas of correctness set forth in rules that the prescriptivist imagines should be imposed upon the language. That is what you're doing, Leighton. You are prescribing to us Calvinists what we should um, what we should use the word to mean based on one dictionary definition and somebody who used the word almost 300 years ago, mind you. But nevertheless, you're prescribing for us Calvinists what we should accept the meaning of the word to be. But prescriptive linguistics is is useless. What matters is usage. So. Um, this this is one of the reasons I'm a Calvinist is because stuff happens. I know non-Calvinists can claim that God um, can can orchestrate events in the way that He wants, even without uh, violating libertarian free will. But anyway, I just love the way that God orchestrates time because as I was preparing for this episode, um, uh, Braxton Hunter, my boss at, at uh, Trinity and Layton's boss at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Um, he had a debate on unbelievable radio, uh, the unbe unbelievable radio show hosted by Justin Brierley, um, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, the, the name of the episode is, is "Free Will: An Illusion," and does it matter if it is? This is Dan Barker versus Braxton Hunter. Now, remember, this is the president of the very seminary that Leighton and I work at. Let's see how Braxton Hunter uses the word arbitrary. The things that we're presented with are things like the intelligibility problem and, and other things that seem to cause a problem for determinism. It's either determined or it's arbitrary. But um, do you hear that? Do you hear he said it's either determined or it's arbitrary according to the intelligibility problem? If, if you don't quite get what arbitrary means in the way that Braxton is use it, using it, here is another clip from that same debate where he uses it again. And you're right, you're, you're referring to what I mentioned a moment ago, which is called the intelligibility problem in the literature, which is, look, it's either determined or it's arbitrary. But if it's determined, you don't have free will. If it's arbitrary, you don't have free will because you don't even know what you're going to do, right? Did you hear that? If it's determined, if it's not determined, then it must be arbitrary because not even you know what you're going to do. You see, he's using arbitrary to mean random, not based on any reason, whim, fancy. He's referring to the intelligibility problem. Here, here's an um, excerpt from Britannica's um, uh, entry on free will uh, under the section libertarianism. Libertarianism is vulnerable to what is called the intelligibility objection. This objection points out that a person can have no more control over a purely random action than he has over an action that is deterministically inevitable. So when Braxton appeals, when he refers to this problem and uses the word arbitrary as the alternative to determined, he's talking about a random action. So just in ordinary usage of the word, what does arbitrary mean? It doesn't mean by the will of the arbiter alone. Because if that were the case, it wouldn't ha there wouldn't be this object this it wouldn't be used to describe the alternative to determinism in this objection. But it's not just Braxton Hunter. Here's uh, a f several videos I found on YouTube.com. If you just up look up like arbitrary meaning, here's a guy who teaches students English uh, at IswearEnglish.com. Um, I'm not going to read off the URL to the YouTube video um, because it's a bunch of gobbledygook at the end. But if you if you're listening to this on the podcast and you want to check out my work, just watch the video and you'll see on the slide the URL to the to the video. Here we go. Hi there, students. Arbitrary. Arbitrary. This is an adjective. It means decided by chance, 
by whim, by impulse. Hear it? Here's from CorporateVocabulary.com, again, a video that they've got on YouTube. Arbitrary, random, and can refer to choosing one of several options, any of which would be equally valid. However, arbitrary can also mean making a choice or decision that's based more on personal feelings rather than facts. Here's VocabularyVideos.com, a video they've got on YouTube. Arbitrary. Not done for any particular reason, chosen or done at random. Here's a video from Visual Dictionary up on YouTube. Arbitrary. Meaning of arbitrary. Based on random choice or personal whim, rather than any reason or system. Based on chance rather than being planned or based on reason. Decided or arranged without any reason or plan, often unfairly. My, uh, here's mywordbook.com, a video on YouTube. Arbitrary. It is an adjective. Basically arbitrary means not done for any particular reason, chosen or done at random. By the way, I see people in the chat joking that I'm going to show up for work and my parking space is revoked. Um, I don't work physically at Trinity. I, I, I'm working remotely. Um, so fortunately, I don't have to worry about that. And Braxton loves me every bit as much as, as, much as he does Jonathan or um, Leighton, and so does Jonathan Pritchett. So you know, Jonathan and Braxton don't have a stake in, in this debate over the word arbitrary. I don't hear them using the word the way that I do Leighton does. But that was a good joke nonetheless in the chat. Anyway, so that was another usage of the word. Here's seehearsaylearn.com's video up on YouTube. Arbitrary. Fixed or done capriciously. Sorry, I, I missed that. What did you say? Arbitrary. Fixed or done capriciously. Right, fixed or done capriciously. Here's liplicks.com, and, and licks is L-I-X, not L-I-C-K-S. This is from a video they've got up on YouTube. Arbitrary. If something is arbitrary, it is not based on any plan or system, so it seems random. Are you seeing a pattern? Here's from Lingerature. This is what I gather is um, an Indian, not, not a Native American, but an Indian um, helping other Indians uh, understand English. Arbitrary U.S. Meaning in English, based on chance, sudden idea, not based on planning or system. Unfair, unreasonable, using much power unfairly. You see? So... Well, here's just a, a number of videos that you pick up on YouTube by looking up the word arbitrary, and what's the common thread? It means based on whim, chance, roll of the dice, random. Um, but videos up on YouTube where you're looking up the word arbitrary may not tell you um, a whole lot about how the word gets used in normal everyday conversation. One source you could turn to to find that out is movies. So here, what I've done is I've um, looked through scripts of a number on a, on a website that has a, a movie script database, and I looked for uses of the word arbitrary, and I found several. Um, I'm going to play very short clips from each of these movies in the hope that under 15 seconds won't get me, you know, taken down. If I suddenly get taken down, then somebody send me a message on Facebook or something, because I may not know it right off the bat. All right, this is 2001, the movie Antitrust. But it wasn't based on our progress either, as you know. You see what he means arbitrary to mean? It's not 
totally re reasonless. It's not for no reason at all, but it's also not for this reason. All right. Um, here's from the 1997 movie Goodwill Hunting. There's my number. So maybe we can go out for coffee sometime. All right, yeah. Maybe we could just get together and eat a bunch of caramels. What do you mean? When you think about it, it's as arbitrary as drinking coffee. Oh, yeah. You see? Meeting for coffee is just a random choice. It's just whim. It's just no reason at all. Um, and this character, Will, is saying we might as well just eat caramels. It's the same thing, right? So that's what arbitrary means in ordinary usage for no reason. Here's the 2008 movie Incendiary. An act of terrorism is unpredictable, arbitrary. Its purpose is to kill indiscriminately. It's arbitrary, indiscriminate. It's just kill whoever I kill. Right? That's what arbitrary means there. How about the 1999 movie Lake Placid? By the way, he said crocodiles. Let the crocodiles decide. He's talking about he, he tried to let himself be killed by crocodiles. Here we go. You see, is it too arbitrary to pick to be judged by crocodiles rather than by my wealth? You see, that's what arbitrary means in ordinary usage for no reason whatsoever, just personal whim. Here's 2013. This isn't a movie. This is a television show, um, if you can call a Netflix series uh, television. This is from Orange is the New Black, an episode called Can't Fix Crazy in 2013. The point is that Piper is spending a year in an institution you can't tell what she's going to be like when she gets out, or when she gets out for that matter. Things are arbitrary in there. You give someone the wrong look on the wrong day. Again, arbitrary in normal, ordinary uses just means for no reason. It makes no sense. It's just whatever whatever somebody feels like doing. Here's from uh, an obscure movie I'd never heard of until I did this research called Robot and Frank from 2012. Frank, you don't have any free activity time scheduled after sunset. What? It's just one night. And what's the point of an arbitrary schedule? The schedule is the most important part. You see, what, what is, what's the point of an arbitrary schedule mean? What does arbitrary mean there? Not for any reason, just... I'm just going to come up with some sort of schedule with, with no reasoning behind it. Just come up with a schedule. Right? That's what arbitrary means there. Here's a documentary called Side by Side, 2012. Process digital now to make it look like film as if film is inherently better just we like the way it looks better which seems kind of arbitrary it's just what we're used to so what does arbitrary mean well I could pick you know higher quality graphics or I could choose more resembling film I'm just gonna go with film right it's it's just arbitrary it's an arbitrary choice of which preference we have there's no reason to it no rhyme no, no sense to it Here's from a, <laughs> a gold star of a movie called The Love Guru. Um, it actually wasn't all that terrible. It was, it was not very good, but it wasn't all that terrible. 2008's The Love Guru. Fight. Fight anyone for any reason. You just said don't fight. Wait, it's just arbitrary with you. Of course not. But we will let the dice decide. Do you see what the joke is there? So the, the hockey player says, so what, it's just arbitrary with you? And the love guru says, of course not. Let's let the dice decide, right? It's supposed to be ironic, a joke. Um, he, arbitrary here means chosen at random. 
Um, and finally, I think this is the last clip I prepared. This is from 2007's movie, uh, from the 2007 movie called Zeitgeist, which um, apologists have done a really great job of showing is just totally full of crap. Um, Zeitgeist is a terrible movie in terms of what it's trying to do. But anyway, here's a clip from 2007's Zeitgeist. Religion, patriotism, race, wealth, class, and every other form of arbitrary separatist identification and thus conceit. Do you hear that? Wealth, race, religion, whatever. These are all means of separating people that are just arbitrary. There's no inherent um, value to using it as a means by which to separate people. So again, arbitrary just means nonsense nonsensical, right? Um, are, uh, random, whim. There's no real reason behind the choice. So... Number one, Leighton Flowers doesn't get to appeal to one person who used the word almost 300 years ago when the word arbitrary meant something different than it means now. Number two, he doesn't get to prescribe to us Calvinists what we should accept the word arbitrary to mean based on one dictionary definition when loads of other dictionaries um, mean what we tend to use the word to mean. And number three, it really doesn't matter so much what the dictionaries say the word means as much as how the word is actually used. And as we've seen, the, when the word is used, it means for no reason at all. Just arbitrary whim, caprice, whatever. So... Um, no, I'm sorry, Leighton is, you're wrong. You don't get to use the word arbitrary if you want to be intellectually honest and if you want to be fair to your interlocutor, to your Calvinist interlocutors. If you just want to throw red meat to your non-Calvinist um, viewers, you certainly can. And, and that'll work. I know there's probably at least one person in the chat right now um, that thinks you're perfectly right to use the word arbitrary and probably is almost cheering inside whenever he, whenever she hears you use the word. Um, if that's all you're trying to do, fine. But I think that you're trying to change people's minds. I think you're trying to reach would-be Calvinists or outright Calvinists and change their minds. And you're not going to do that if you misrepresent what they believe. And that is, as we've now proven, what you're doing when you use the word. Now, let's really put Leighton behind us there now. And in this last portion of my presentation today, we'll probably go for about another 10 minutes, I want to explain why unconditional election in Calvinism isn't arbitrary. Anyway, regardless of everything that we've just said so far. All right? And what I want to first... And here I'm going to try to dabble in symbolic logic. I'm not a philosopher. I've never done symbolic logic before, but I'm trying it out because I think it helps to illustrate the difference between arbitrary election and, and as well as conditional election on the one hand and unconditional election on the other. So here what I've got up on the screen is, a, is, is some symbolic logic representing conditional election. The E means exists or will exist. And by the way, this, this symbolic logic applies to any conditional choice, whether of whether God's choice of who will be saved, or um, a, a soldier's choice of what weapon to take into battle, or a or, or Indiana Jones's and his villains' choice of which cup to try to drink from, all right. And that's why I said exists or will exist, because in God's case it's in the future, but in all those other cases I mentioned, it's in it, they've already do exist, all right. So in this equation or this this symbolic logic, the letter E represents exists or will exist. P means meets some condition. Q is chosen by God, and it comes after a right-pointing arrow that means therefore, right? So it's a logical conclusion. And then the um, symbol that looks like a carrot, K-A-R-E-T, is um, 
and and the little weird line it means not i tried to follow conventions of symbolic logic so here are the two statements in the symbolic logic that i've got shown on the screen right now e and p therefore q and e and not p therefore not q and what those translate to are something exists and meets some condition therefore it is chosen and then in the other case, something exists, or will exist, and doesn't meet some condition, or won't meet some condition, and therefore not chosen. Notice that in this case, existence logically precedes election. A thing's existence, whether in the future or not, logically precedes election, the choice. All right? The choice is based on something that already exists, or it's based on something that will exist, but it's still based on it. So um, existence in conditional election logically precedes election. So in the examples I showed at the beginning of the show, when the villain in Indiana Jones 3 thinks that he's um, got the cup of the King of Kings, it's because number one, it existed, and number two, it met a condition, namely it was very ornate. Right? That's conditional election. And it's the same thing that Indiana Jones was doing. That's the cup of a carpenter, he says. In other words, that cup that exists right there also bears the hallmarks of having been made by a carpenter. Therefore, I'm going to choose it. That's conditional election, and that is what non-Calvinist election is. If you don't believe me, here's a quote from Roger Olson's Against Calvinism. Roger Olson is somebody of whom Leighton Flowers is a big fan, and Roger Olson does good historical work. Um, I think he's wrong theologically on this issue, but he does, he's a good historian, a, a church historian. But anyway, um, Roger Olson says I, in his book Against Calvinism, I spoke to an adult Sunday school class and spent one session on the doctrine of election, explaining how Calvinists view it as unconditional, and Arminians and others, like provisionists, like Leighton Flowers, view it as conditional. So I'm not making this up. Leighton's view, Roger Olson's view, all non-Calvinist views of election are conditional election, meaning something would exist, and number two, it would meet some condition, therefore God chooses it. All right. Now let's turn to arbitrary election, and we're using arbitrary the way it's actually used, meaning based on whim, fancy, random chance, whatever, no, no reason whatsoever. Again, in the symbolic logic here, the letter E means exists or will exist. The little icon of a thumb flipping a coin, that represents God's capricious whim. Q means chosen by God, and all those same symbols for and and not. All right, so these two symbolic logic statements read something exists and God's whim, whatever it is, is to choose it. Therefore, God chooses, uh, chooses it. For the non-elect, for the not chosen, it's also got to first exist or will exist. And number two, God's whim has got to be to not choose it. Therefore, it follows that uh, that thing is not chosen. So just as was the case with conditional election, in arbitrary election, using arbitrary in the way that it, what it actually means, not Leighton's one single dictionary definition he appeals to, existence logically precedes election. 
Um, and an example of this is from an episode of The Office uh, in which um, Michael Scott, <laughs> who hates Toby, is is told, oh, you need to pick somebody at random. And he says, fine, eeny, meeny, miny, mo is random. But he actually points to Toby. That's the person he wanted to choose. So it's not really arbitrary, but that's what the gif here represents. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. That's what this arbitrary kind of election would be. And again, I'm not mischaracterizing a non-Calvinist's characterization of my belief. This again is Roger Olson from Against Calvinism. He says, once choosing on the basis of something particular about the ones chosen is ruled out, what is left? I argue all that is left, and this is a matter of sheer logic, is arbitrary choice, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. There is no conceivable third alternative. So here you've got a well-respected non-Calvinist saying there's logically no possible other uh, reason for choosing the elect if they're not chosen for something about the elect. And, and so the only thing it could be is arbitrary, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, which we all know is what Leighton means by the word. You do, Leighton. I just own it. Um, now, here's the thing. I will actually agree that um, if God's choice of the elect is not based on anything about them in the way that we typically talk about choice, I can't conceive of what other possible alternative that there could be. I can diagram it. Here's again, here's arbitrary election if you use the, the meaning of the word arbitrary as Leighton pretends to use it, meaning just by the, the will of the arbiter alone, not based on anything in the actual people he chooses. All right, here's, here's symbolic logic representing that. Again, something will exist. And God has some secret reasons that are apart from, that are not based on the thing that will exist, therefore chosen or not chosen, right? That would represent arbitrary election um, using the meaning of the word arbitrary that Leighton pretends to use it in. And notice again that existence or, yeah, the existence of the ones chosen logically precedes election. And the reason I say I'll actually agree with Roger Olson is because I can't conceive of any way in which a choice among competing options, if not based on anything about those options, is anything other than arbitrary. Um, and so although I can diagram this, I can't conceive of what that could all even imaginably be. And I'll actually grant that. But again, notice something here. Here, even in this kind of arbitrary election, existence of the people that God is choosing from among, their existence logically precedes their election. All right? But that's not unconditional election. In unconditional election, here the symbolic logic is question mark representing God's secret purposes. We could use the word reason. I, I like purpose in this case. He's got purposes. Therefore, and now there's a right pointed, a, a right pointed arrow. Therefore, Q or not Q, meaning chosen by God or not chosen by God. Therefore, E will exist. You see, God's purposes to save precedes, or God's purposes, whatever his purposes are, precede logically the determination of who will be chosen and who will be not, and that precedes their very existence logically even. I'll, I'll give you an illustration here in a moment if that is a little bit too hard to follow. But notice that unlike conditional election and any sort of arbitrary uh, choice, 
In this case, existence logically follows election. God isn't picking from among a number of competing options. He is crafting the very person that he wants, whether chosen or not, because of the purposes he has for them. Everything about the person, elect or not, is what it is because God has first, logically prior, chosen them to be what they will be. That's radically different from those other three options we looked at. Again, in this case, in unconditional election, existence logically follows, not precedes, follows election. Now, if this is hard for you to wrap your minds around, well, actually, before I give the illustrations, here's a quote to, to support what I'm saying. This is from Lorraine Boatner or Baitner. I don't know how to pronounce the last name, but it's from the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. And he, and he writes, the Reformed faith is held to the existence of an eternal divine decree, which antecedently to any difference or desert in men themselves separates the human race into two portions. You see that word antecedently there is temporal and logical. God's divine decree precedes, is antecedent to, any difference or desert in men themselves. And just the mere fact of existing would be enough to differentiate two different people. If you have two people, then by definition you have two different people. So the only way that what Lorraine Baitner is saying here could be true is if the choice to elect and not elect precedes, is antecedent to, logically the future existence of the people he separates into these two portions. So I'm not making this up. This I, I might be applying symbolic logic to it in a way that nobody else has, maybe, I don't know. But I'm just illustrating what the Reformed faith is and has been. Now, let me give you a couple of illustrations to help you understand what it means when I say election precedes existence in unconditional election, unlike conditional election and arbitrary election. Conditional election would be like a warrior looking at a table of weapons and choosing which one he or she will take into battle. Um, if the person likes uh, the if a person doesn't like to, to cause cuts, maybe he wants to use a mace. Or maybe he or maybe the soldier likes to stand back from a distance and so she picks the bow and arrow that I can see on the screen. Or maybe she likes the crossbows because, because uh, it's even more powerful than a bow um, and it's more accurate, arguably, or whatever. That would be conditional election. Choosing because of one reason or another from among a variety of weapons that are already laid out before him or her. And of course, arbitrary election would just be like, eh, I like the, I like this middle, this, this, um, this hand axe. I'm going to use this, this, this hand axe. Or, or I'm, for no, for no apparent reason, I'm going to pick this halberd. I think that's a halberd on the far right, um, but I could be wrong about that. That would be conditional arbitrary election. You've got a, a, an array of weapons from which to choose. But the blacksmith who forges a sword. The existence of the sword logically follows the choice to make a sword. The blacksmith isn't choosing arbitrarily from a sword, an axe, a bow, a crossbow, a halberd, and a hand axe, or you know, whatever, a mace. The blacksmith has a purpose, a reason, multiple purposes, multiple reasons for crafting, for forging the specific weapon that the blacksmith forges. So existence follows, logically, 
choice, not the other way around. And there's nothing arbitrary about that. Here's another example. When Indiana Jones picks from the different grails, the different um, candidate grails in that chamber at the end of Indiana Jones 3, the cups, the array of cups are before him. And because he is looking for a cup that is most likely to be the one a carpenter would make, he chooses one cup from among all the competing options. Existence precedes choice. And the same would be true of our, any arbitrary form of election. For no apparent reason whatsoever, uh, I'm just going to choose this cup over that cup. Existence precedes choice. But a potter is doing something different than that, isn't he? A potter isn't choosing from among competing pots. A potter is crafting the pot that he specifically wants to make. That's not arbitrary. But notice, it's also not based on anything in the thing that already exists. He wants the cup to be what it exists. He doesn't choose the cup that already exists or will exist. It exists the way it does because the potter first chose to make it that way. Existence follows choice in unconditional election. Let me give you one more illustration, and we'll, we'll wrap it up after that. In either a conditional or arbitrary form of election, imagine you are somebody completing a jigsaw puzzle, like I'm showing up here on the screen. All right, you, the piece exists before it is chosen, um, before it is chosen by the one completing the puzzle. All right, so first, there's a piece that exists, and then, either for conditional reasons or for no reason at all, that would be arbitrary, the person completing the puzzle chooses that piece to place in the in the gap. If it's conditional election, that piece is chosen because it perfectly fits the shape, the gap, in the jigsaw puzzle. If it's arbitrary, then eh, I'll just pick this piece and try it. Right? But that's not unconditional election. In unconditional election, you're not talking about the choice made by somebody completing the puzzle. You're talking about the one making the puzzle. The one making the puzzle, the designer, intends all pieces to fit together before they're ever made. They have the shape they do because God chose to make it that way, because of purposes that he has. In this case, uh, the, the purpose of making a jigsaw puzzle that can be fit together. So first, there's the intended fit of the pieces together, and then the pieces are crafted accordingly. You see the difference? In a blacksmith's unconditional choice, the blacksmith doesn't choose arbitrarily between existing, well, between existing weapons. He chooses to forge a yet non-existent weapon with purpose. And his choice preceded, came before, the weapon's very existence and whatever nature it might possibly have. That's how unconditional election can be based not on anything in the elect. Because everything the elect are is what God chose them to be. Similarly, a potter's unconditional choice. A potter doesn't choose arbitrarily between existing vessels. He chooses to craft a yet non-existent vessel with purpose, for reasons. And his choice couldn't have been based on anything that, that was true about the vessel because his choice preceded the vessel's very existence and whatever nature it would have. A puzzle designer's unconditional choice. A, a puzzle designer doesn't choose arbitrarily between jigsaw pieces. 
He chooses to create yet non-existent jigsaw pieces with purpose. And he didn't choose pieces because of what he knew they would be. They will be what they will be because God first chose them to be that. His choice precedes any jigsaw piece's existence in nature. That is unconditional election. In conditional election, in arbitrary election of any sort, God's choice logically follows, comes after, logically, the thing's existence that can separate it, that can distinguish it from competing options. But in unconditional election, the reason it's not arbitrary is because God isn't choosing from among competing options. His choice doesn't logically follow their existence. Their existence logically follows his choice. He makes them what he makes them because he has a purpose for them. It's, his choice is not based on anything that he knew they would do, anything that they were, anything that would be in them, because their existence comes after his choice to make them what they are. That's why it's not arbitrary. So no matter what uh, definition you use for arbitrary, you can't describe election in Calvinism as arbitrary. Because God's election of who will be saved and who will not logically comes after, or comes before, wait, his, yeah, comes before their existence, logically. He chooses to make them the elect and the non-elect. They don't exist first, and then he chooses them. He chooses to make the two groups of people, and therefore they become, they are what they are. Election precedes existence in Calvinism, and that's why it's not arbitrary. Now, as we wrap up, I will say one thing. Leighton could, if he continues to insist upon using one dictionary's definition of the word, he could say that God's will to create the elect and the non-elect is arbitrary. And if he wants to insist on doing that, that's fine. But that's not what he's saying when he says arbitrarily chosen from, right, before, the, before, before they existed. Arbitrary choice, as we've demonstrated, means that the things from among which you're choosing already exist or will exist. And because of what they are or will be, therefore they are chosen. But that's not election in Calvinism. And therefore, election or choice in Calvinism simply cannot be called arbitrary. God's will can be if you really insist upon using one dictionary's definition of the word in the way that nobody else uses it. Um, but election itself, God's choice itself, cannot be called arbitrary because God's choice comes before the existence of the ones that he chooses. So I hope that's been helpful. My goal, I know this has gone on kind of long, but I really wanted to make this response thorough and exhaustive and comprehensive because it's true. James White was right. Leighton has been corrected many times on this by James White, by me, and by others. But it's always just been in little short, you know, God doesn't do anything arbitrary because he, he does things by the kind intention of his sovereign will, which is love and justice and so forth. But but then Leighton will claim to be using different definitions of the word arbitrary, ignoring the fact that the one definition he chooses, or the one dictionary he chooses, is so different from all the other ones, and ignoring the fact that definitions or dictionaries don't tell you how words are used. How words are used tells you how words are used. Um, but, but nevertheless, a response to Leighton's use of the word arbitrary had to be comprehensive and exhaustive, and that's what I've tried to do. Now, if in the end of this, you still think I'm wrong and that you should be able to continue to use the word arbitrary, 
I've done my best, and I'm not going to be able to do anything more than this. But here's the thing. At least logically, you have no reason for calling election arbitrary when you realize that God's choice, his election, logically precedes the existence of the ones that he's electing and not electing. So you can use the word arbitrary and just claim, I, I didn't do a good enough job. But any objective viewer of this will know that you're wrong. So, hopefully this will help. If you get into conversations on social media, if you're a Calvinist and you hear non-Calvinists accusing you of believing in an arbitrary God or whatever, I'm hoping this video will be something that you can link to in those social media conversations. Put it up on Twitter, keep it as a resource, favorite it, because I it's not just Leighton Flowers I hear do this. It's lots of non-Calvinists. And what disappoints me is they claim that they're not doing it uh, they're just trying to use it according to its dictionary definition. But what we saw is they really are doing it because they want to, they're, they're intentionally evoking the negative connotations of the word, which aren't just connotations, they're the primary dictionary definitions of the word. They're intentionally evoking that. And when you see non-Calvinists do that, hopefully you can point them to this video and if they're honest, they'll give it a watch and they'll realize, oh, you're right, election isn't arbitrary in Calvinism, no matter, by, by any definition. Now, all of that having been said, that doesn't mean unconditional election is true. I haven't here offered one reason at all for thinking that unconditional election is true. But it's not arbitrary. Next episode, two weeks from today, it'll be September 21st. My goal is to have uh, September 21st at 6 p.m. Pacific. Come back because I will intend. I do intend to have uh, a preliminary defense of unconditional election from one specific text, namely Romans 9. Uh, when I have my friend Robert Wiesner on as a guest to discuss Romans 9 in the wake of his conversation on Romans 9 with Leighton Flowers on Soteriology 101. So if you're intrigued by what I've said today and you're not a Calvinist, um, hopefully you're convinced now that you shouldn't call it arbitrary anymore um, and I hope that you'll come back two weeks time to watch me give one reason and my friend Robert Wiesner give one passage of scripture for thinking that election is indeed unconditional hope this has been helpful and I look forward to seeing you next time take care I've been your host Chris Date and thanks so much for watching The Apologetics where we think together through what we believe why we believe it and not something else if you've enjoyed this episode, please click the thumbs up, like icon, the subscribe button, and the bell icon to receive notifications when new videos are streamed or uploaded. Either way, come back in two weeks for the next episode of The Apologetics, streaming live on YouTube every other Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific. Until then... <laughs>